If I'm living a life congruent with my core values that are important to me because I determine them, I'm generally happy. But if I'm living inconsistent and congruent with what I want, I will always be sort of unhappy because I know that I want to go to X, but I'm really, I know I want to do X, but I'm really doing Y. Mm -hmm. So I think being aware of that for me is, is a, is a thing that I always need to keep front and center. And the more I can be consistent with the person I want to become, which is kind of like, you're always chasing that, that shiny thing, but that's where it really happens. That's when I feel very fulfilled. Um, for example, when I remember before I really got involved in this personal development stuff and reading, like I would be very incongruent. I would say something and I would tell people that I want to do something, or I would even talk to myself, which is more dangerous. I would say I want to do this, but my actions wouldn't back that up. Welcome to Grid Talk, a podcast about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez. And on today's show, I've got Greg Halbeck. And you're going to hear the journey of a young real estate entrepreneur because he's only 25. Boy, his thinking is light years ahead of his age. And you're going to hear how he went from New York to sunny San Diego because well, why not, right? Every young guy that uh, is growing up in New York City, like he said, is thinking about sunny San Diego. And so he built a virtual business that operates from San Diego, but invests in New York. So listen to his thinking and listen to his business. And I know you're going to learn a lot from this interview. So welcome to Grid Talk. And today I've got Greg Helbeck. Greg, I'm excited to talk to you today because, well, man, you and I, we we got to meet each other in, in Tulum, Mexico, right, for a mastermind. And I was like, man, this kid is young and sharp. And uh, and I think you won the run, right? You did. You, I, yeah. And, and, yeah. Then, and so so anyhow, I was like, man, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to enjoy getting to learn a little bit about his story. And so I appreciate you coming on and, and talking to our grid family about your journey, your story, and uh, welcome. Welcome, brother. Thank you. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, that was a fun trip. I really enjoyed that, and it was amazing to meet you know, so many new people in such a short period of time, but then forge those relationships in such a you know, compressed timeline. It was, it was really a blessing to be down there, and I'm really looking forward to the one next year. Yeah, man. It, it, was, it was a little wild, right? I was like, what, oh. what, what are we going to expect in Mexico with COVID going on? But it was all good, right? It was amazing. I, I was so impressed, too, with the way that they put the event on and then the, the whole like the resort with the tents and stuff. It was so cool. Dude, it was awesome. It was, it was awesome. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. I'm like, I got to do this for my team at some point. Bring the entire yeah. team down there. Be awesome. Totally. Yeah. Same. That's awesome. Well, let's let's get the let's got let's dive into a little bit of your story, right? Um, if I remember correctly, you live in California right now. Is that right? You're in yeah, Cal- San Diego, in the San Diego uh, area, up in North County, San Diego. Right, and uh, but your investments, where you invest, is in New York. Is that did yes. I get that right? Okay. Yep, that is where I'm from. So I'm from New York. I go back there a lot, probably like on average every six weeks. So 90% of my business is operating in New York. And then I do a handful of deals out in Southern Cal, but uh, they're few and far between out here. You know, I, I don't know this market as well as I do the New York market. And this market is also double the triple the price uh, in uh, New York. So it's a little more uh, different strategies for sure. That's that's crazy, man. Uh, West Coast to East Coast, right? Talk about virtual, yeah, Talk about man. Virtual business. Virtual. We are doing a lot of virtual deals for sure, and that's something I'm, I'm very experienced with. 
Okay. Let's let's learn a little bit about you. So where did where did you go to school? Where'd you go to college? I went to a college called SUNY Cobleskill. So that's where I got my like four year degree. Before I did that, I went to a community college, transferred to Cobleskill. I was actually fortunate enough to take the Cobleskill classes locally, so I didn't have to go away and get in debt or anything like that. So that worked out pretty well for me. I graduated college in 2018. My, my, my memory is not the best, but 2018. So a couple of years ago. Okay. And uh, yeah, I've been a full-time real estate entrepreneur ever since. Well, how did that happen? I mean, how did you, how'd you get into real estate at such a young age? Like, was it, did your parents tell you about it? You know, was it a friend? Like, tell, tell me the story there. Sure. So basically long story long, because I know this is a, is a podcast where we're going to get into the stories. So I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't the worst student, but I wasn't the best student. So I had uh, some okay grades, but I wasn't getting on the Dean's list or anything like that. And I always, honestly, Rob, I always wanted to get wealthy, not to you know, be Ebenezer Scrooge, but just so I had freedom and I have the ability to do what I want when I want. And I always looked at having a normal job as um, a kind of a, I'm trying to think of the word, but basically it, it, there was no freedom with that. Like I had to have, I had to be somebody only for, I had to be somewhere only for money. And I started thinking like, I've always been a pretty deep thinker ever since I was a little kid. And I'm like, wait, the only reason I'm here is for money. So if I can find a way to make money without having to be here. I don't have to be here, you know? So, <laughs> you know, like it was kind of like a math problem or something like that, which I wasn't the best at back in the day, but um, I went to college and I went to a seminar during college. So this is how it all started. So I was at a seminar after playing competitive hockey. So after hockey, I went to college and I had to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, 20 year old kid. And I went to a seminar. It was like one of those get rich overnight seminars, you know, seminar comes to town, kind of like the circus. Sure. And talking about this whole thing of a double closed deal, which I had no idea what the hell that was. They were like, you can buy a property and you can resell it on the same day and you don't need the money. The buyer will bring the money or you can use a transactional loan to essentially fund the first deal and then keep the difference from the second deal, the second, the B to C or whatever. And I said, wait a minute, I have no money. I can go out and do this. I have a lot of time on my hands. I don't have a job. And, uh, you know, they were talking about like $10,000, $15,000, which at the time seemed like a lot of money. And I was like, that's, that's like a lot of money. You know, that's, that's more money than I've ever seen in one shot. So I said, heck, I'm going to be a real estate investor. And I kid you not, I was at that seminar. It was 2015. I made a decision that day. I am going to be a successful real estate investor. I didn't know what I was going to do before that. It was almost like I had this aha moment and I'm like, I'm going to go all into this. And I actually remember looking back, it, I was in the front and my two friends were behind me. And I said, guys, I don't know what either one of you guys are doing, but I'm going to sign up for this little upsell thing. And if you guys are smart, we could probably negotiate three, three for one. My one friend bailed. So my other friend, who's actually a very successful investor to this day, decided to go in two for one. So 2000 bucks, thousand each went to the seminar. They taught us all we needed to know. You know, it was good. We, we, we invested in ourselves mm-hmm. and uh, man, nine months later, I pulled, popped out a little paycheck for a referral fee. And then a couple of months after that, I started doing some wholesale deals. And uh, from there it's, you know, expanded into, you know, hundred, hundred plus deals at this point. And I've been able to build up a nice little successful business, you know, over the last, you know, four and a half years. And time kind of flies because uh, once you get into a rhythm, you know, it's almost like every day is kind of like Groundhog's Day. And, you know, you look back and you're like, man, lots happened over the last four or five years. Like I've learned a lot, I've grown a lot. And uh, here we are. Tell us what your business looks like today, by the way. Sure. What does it look like so, today? We have a, a small, I have a small team right now. It's me and assistant. I have a project manager and then I have a virtual assistant who does a lot of like really heavy admin stuff without like a phone or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We buy on average three to five properties a month. So we don't do a lot of high volume yet. 
But all of our deals, Rob, are very profitable deals. Like if we're wholesaling a house, we're generally going to make twenty-five to $30,000 per deal. If we're going to take a property down and either renovate it or clean it up and put it on the market, otherwise known as wholetailing, uh, we're going to make, you know, 40 plus thousand dollars usually on those deals when they're successful. Uh, we've had some big ones too, where we made over six figures. So I have a lean, mean, very profitable business. You know, I'm looking to actually grow that now and, and do more volume, but do that profitably and not have an overhead machine. Mm-hmm. And at the same time in 2020, I decided I need to start keeping some more rental properties. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm actively getting, you know, one to two burr properties a month. You know, that's like the pace mm-hmm. I've been on. And at the same time, there's a commercial building that I ran into in the beginning of 2021 that I'm going to be closing on hopefully in the next few weeks, Mm. uh, which is a mixed use building. So it's going to be more of a value add reposition. Uh, So I'm a little scared to buy that because it's never, it's kind of out of my comfort zone, but it's a pretty good deal. So um, I'm kind of venturing some of these smaller apartment buildings as well as, um, you know, as the market presents them to me. What is that? And that's in New York? Did you find Yeah. Yep, that's in New York. It's in the uh, so the the, op- the area I operate in is called the Hudson Valley. So it's a region of north of Manhattan. So it's about forty five miles outside of the George Washington Bridge. So there's a lot of demand for properties there, especially after COVID. Mm-hmm. The price points are getting hotter by the minute, but at the same time, it's very it's an affordable place to live in terms of being close to the city, but not being in the middle of nowhere. Because some people think of upstate New York like I have no teeth and you know I'm a hillbilly. This is not that place. This is more of a reasonable place to live. So, and that's where you grew up, right? Is that I'm from there. Yep, okay. I'm from there, and uh, I know the area very well. And it, it's um, and I like that because I think there's a lot of talk about doing deals in areas where you don't know anything about, and I think that will work. I really, especially because I close on a lot of properties, I want to know that market extremely well because if I don't know what I'm getting into. And to me, that's that's very risky, especially when you're going to put other people's capital in these deals. So I really want to know that market before I start to get involved, and I'm not just you know shooting stuff at the dartboard. So what what I guess what took you to Florida? I mean, not Florida, but what took you took you to San Diego? Like how <laughs> how did that come about? You know, it sounds because you started the business in in the Hudson yeah. Valley, I would imagine. Like you got in there, and then yeah, and then one day you met a girl, right? Is that how? <laughs> is that what happened? <laughs> Well, it's sort of true, uh, but basically to get to, to, to you know, to, to talk about the California thing. So I think every New Yorker's dream is to live on the West Coast because it seems so foreign to a, an East Coaster who's used to freezing their butt off all winter. Yeah. So I remember visiting California when I was in college and I thought it was pretty cool. And then I kept going back every couple months to like check it out again, and check it out again and check it out again. And I remember I was like in this situation where my business was doing OK. It wasn't making like any type of money where I could have like legitimate freedom. But I was still like, that was how I was making my money. So I was like making some money at it, but it wasn't like big money. And I was like, I need to be able to virtualize this business to where like, I don't want to have to go to properties. I don't want to have to like be dependent upon like dropping everything I'm doing and running out to a house and locking it up. So I virtualized the business in 2018. And once I did that, I got my first check from a deal where I never saw the house. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is a lot of money and I can like do this from anywhere, you know, and this allows me to, to sort of scale it. Uh, or at least scale my time out. So once I virtualized the business, I said, you know what, I can do this from anywhere. It's actually good that I'm not here a lot of the times because it allows me to, to try to work on the business more than in the business. Yeah. I still work on the business, to be honest with you. But um, I did, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Like I was 23, so it's three years ago now almost. And I said, if I'm going to move to California, when I'm a 23-year-old kid with really no responsibilities, this is the time to do it. So it was like kind of that window was there for me to like pull that off. So I moved out here by myself, didn't really know anybody. I knew a few people like, like briefly, um, moved into a nice apartment in a really nice area, San Diego, and was kind of like, whoa, 
what did I just do here? I live on my own now. I'm not in my parents' house. I live in a really nice apartment. I live in this beautiful area. Like I had no idea what I really even did. Honestly, it took me a couple months to really absorb all the, the, the change that was going on in my life with the move. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. What's the, the psychology is interesting there. Right. And you had to go to the most expensive state, like as an oh, investor, which is the most expensive oh, state, right? I hope Gavin Newsom is listening. I'm not a resident in California and I don't plan to be a resident for tax purposes. So no, I still go no, no. Yeah, Newsom, you're listening. Recall. Anyway. That's uh, right. <laughs> just kidding. So, so man, but, so, so you ended up, you ended up in San Diego, right? Yeah. You, you systemized your business so that you could do it virtually, yeah. right? You're in the process of, of, of now really kind of, I, I think, and it's great to understand at, uh, at your age, especially at 26, right? You're about to turn 26 that, you know, flipping, wholesaling, it's all earned income, right? Uh, where, where sure. You've got to get to is the other side of that equation, right? So you're in this buy and hold accumulation phase of your life. Um, but let me ask you, like, I, I know that you're, the career's short, right? It's like, let's look, it's five years, right? Yeah. And by the way, you've been five years in a good market. So yes. Have you, have, you had, have you had your 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 ass handed to you yet? Or are you like, hey, it's all... It's all good. I've gotten, yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten rocked a couple times for sure, man. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. I, mean, it, it, I think there's a different, there's, I think everyone might define that differently, but for me, there's been a lot of failure. You know, it's almost happens. It happens on a weekly basis, but I've, I've tried to train my mind to where I don't get as emotionally involved as I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to give you like a quick example, this is one that, that was more painful at the time, even though it didn't sound that bad. But I think given my circumstances a couple of years ago, it really sucks. So here's one that, that I bet you some listeners can relate to. I didn't have a lot of money when I started. My parents were not very wealthy. They were middle class, just like a lot of people. And I remember I had no money to advertise. Like, so I was putting out bandit signs and I was doing some targeted direct mail. And I was literally handwriting letters like on my freaking desk, like handwriting letters. And I remember I discovered that I could stop handwriting these letters if I bought a printer for 200 bucks and I can mail merge these letters so that I can just stuff them and write the envelopes. And then I hired someone eventually to do that. But I remember one time I spent a, a good amount of my marketing budget and I printed out like 300 letters or it might have been, it was like 500 letters. And I had the wrong phone number, Rob, on the, the letter. And to me, it doesn't seem like that big of a failure, but I remember that was such a big part of my marketing budget. And I remember I was at like a ground zero moment. I was at the park by my house. <laughs> I realized that I did this and I said, oh my gosh, like it was like that setback where like you have to make that decision. Like, do I want to continue with this? And at the time I really needed the income to, to, to really keep the business afloat. Mm-hmm. And that was a, that was a tough time. That was a tough time. And it, it set me back for a couple months. And then I remember another one, which is a, it was a weird time where my friend and I, we went to this seminar. It was a, it was more, it was a seminar. Let me, let me ask you, did you mail the letters and then realize that you had the wrong number? Yeah. Paid for the post. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It sucked. <laughs> I wasn't getting any calls. And I said, this is super weird. Like I should probably get like at least 1% oh, yeah. calls. And I'm like, that's odd. Let me just double check. And I'm like, oh no, it's the wrong number. You know, and it, was, it was devastating. It sucked. <laughs> I mean, now if that would happen, like I send a lot of mail now, so I still would have been pissed, but it, it wouldn't have been like back in the day when I really was depending on that. Um, I had another one where my friend and I, we went to a seminar and we decided after that seminar, he wanted to be like the next, you know, big mogul. So we decided to partner, you know, and there was all, it was like, you know, when you first date your girlfriend or your wife, it's like the best thing ever. And then like after three months, you're like, oh, this is kind of normal. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, you know, it, not, not that it's bad, but just like 
the euphoria yeah. wears off, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then you got to just work on your relationship. But anyway, so we, we, we did this thing. We had our, you know, business honeymoon or whatever in Sedona, Arizona, like metaphorically there, obviously. And I remember he went on birthright in, uh, which is a trip that you can go on if you're, if you're, um, uh, if you practice Judaism mm-hmm. and, uh, he came back from birthright and he was super off. And I remember we were running out of money. Like our company was starting to get, go like literally out of business. Like and we were supposed to go on this trip somewhere. And I'm like, dude, I'm looking through the PL. I'm like, bro, we got we gotta cancel this. We're gonna get hosed right now if we do this. And I we had to separate duties, we had to break off as partners, we lost a bunch of money. There was like no money coming in. And I'm like, I felt so far away from getting to where I wanted to get to, which was Southern California at the time. Mm-hmm. It was one of those moments, Rob, where, and I'm sure you've been here many times, where you have to you have to be aware of the situation that you're in and understand during that moment, and this is a lot easier said than done, but you gotta understand that in that moment. You got to make that decision to push forward versus push back. Because I could have totally justified and said, you know what, this is not for me. I'm going to go get a job on Wall Street and I'm going to justify why I'm doing that. But I said, you know what, I'm going to figure out how to get deals cheaper. I'm going to figure out how to generate leads with not a lot of marketing, make some money, and then go back into my original strategy. And I'm very happy that that happened to me because that changed my business and my life. And it allowed me to learn new skill sets that I have now that will forever serve me. Um, so those were some like really painful ones back in the day that that really had a high toll on my emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bought some properties that were stinkers. You know, I've gotten screwed on a bunch of wholesale. I had one deal where we were supposed to make 200 grand on it. And, uh, the lawyer and the, uh, the court system overruled the sale because it was too low and it was a probate deal. And I thought I was making 200 grand and it just blew up in my face. So mm-hmm. yeah, man, it's, uh, it's definitely a roller coaster out there, but the more you can, for the listeners, the more you can understand that that's inevitable and it's going to happen to everyone, the, the better you're going to, the better chance you're going to have of being able to withstand those punches because they're going to always be there. And I've just accepted that at this point. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is um, <laughs> it's amazing how the muscle, your stress muscle grows yes. as you start experiencing new challenges, new problems, new issues in your life. Right. And you just, you just, you just grow as a professional, you grow it. And I remember I was listening to, um, to Grant Cardone the other day, and it was it was interesting because he was like, "Listen, after a while, you you're just gonna have to accept you're you're going to get sued. You you're you're like something bad is gonna happen. Like you're you, you might have a business failure." He's like, "Heck, I got on my, I got on my, um, I got on my bucket list that I want to be in a congressional hearing, right? Because anybody that's in a congressional hearing, right? I mean, he's like the extreme. He's a nut job. Yeah. yeah, he's a nut job. Those guys are massively successful, right? So he's like, that's on my bucket list. I'm like, yeah, definitely. I never want to be on a congressional hearing. I don't hearing. want to be in a congressional hearing. I really no know way. That. No way. I, those guys are getting grilled, right? But yeah. But his point, his point is, is, you know, you're you're going to face these challenges and, yeah. and growth comes out of those challenges. Right. And 100%. the bigger, the bigger you get, sometimes the bigger, the bigger target you are. Right. So you just got to accept that. Uh, I heard this great quote that I heard on another podcast and someone said that at every level, there's another devil. And I was like, yeah. I remember pausing that and I'm like, man, that's so true. Cause I remember when I first moved out here, I thought all my problems, I, I was so naive, Rob. I thought all my problems would go away. Like I'm living the SoCal dream, bachelor life, yada, yada, yada. And I was miserable. You know, I'm like, now I got all these new problems I got to solve. So I've discovered and, and I have a lot more to learn, but the better I can become at being a problem solver in my personal life and in my business, the more I'm going to grow and the more I'm going to get, the closer I'm going to get to my goals. So what is, what are some of those goals? I'm curious, right? Like what are some of the things that you want to achieve in the next 
five years, 10 years? What, you know, I, I know I've noticed that you do a lot of reading, right? You're always kind of synthesizing this information and delivering it back, which is super valuable, man. I encourage you to keep doing that. It's awesome. Um, so you're a big reader. So what, what are some of the things that you're thinking about over the next 10 years? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, so I would say on the business end, like I want to be earning within the next couple of years, like a multiple seven figure net income, you know, because a lot of people talk about their top line. And, and I really like top line is important because you can be profitable and have a big bottom line. But I really want to be earning a person like a multiple seven figure income. And then in terms of the wealth side, I wanted to have a, an eight figure net worth in the next five to seven years by strategically holding on to these properties and, and mm-hmm. getting involved in deals that make sense and being able to capitalize on opportunities that will really build my net worth up. And that's stuff I never really thought about when I was just trying to build my business because it was all about just money in the door. So those are some like tangible, measurable goals for the next, you know, five to seven years. And then in terms of the personal side, um, I want to be able, and this is kind of wishy-washy, but I really want to learn how to be happy in the moment, but at the same time, be motivated enough to keep going after my goals. Because I, I used to have this bad habit and I still suffered a little bit like where I had this, I'll be happy when syndrome. And then I realized over like doing this for four years, like even though I'm going to hit my goals, I can still have shit go wrong in my life. And it's, it's, that's, that's going to be inevitable. So like, for example, I had a relationship issue in the beginning of the year and I made like a hundred grand that week or some crazy, crazy number. And I was like, not even, I wasn't even happy. I was like, great. The money's in the bank. Cool. Like we'll keep growing the business. But like, I'm in this disaster, like this stressful time in my relationship. I don't know what to do. I'm in like this crossroads. So just being able to have the mindset to be able to accept these things that are inevitable for anyone and not let these circumstances sometimes um, dictate my decisions and and try to be as logical as possible, even when you're making emotional decisions, you know, especially in business. Yeah, Um, that's a big deal for me. Yeah. I mean, it's like figuring out what makes you happy. Yeah. And 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 doing more of that, knowing that it's not money, it's not material stuff. It just isn't right. It's It's, it's it's not. It's 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 the little things in life. And you got to figure that piece out. For me, a big piece of it is growth, right? Like I love learning and growing and meeting new people and pouring into entrepreneurs and like, and, but you know, that, I don't know that, that, that wakes me up. Right. Do you, do you know, you figure out, have you figured out yet? What wakes you? Are you still working on that piece? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So I, I think there's a great book called the compound effect by Darren Hardy that I read back in the day. I still read it like once a year. And he talks about, you got to find your life core values. And my core values, ironically, were in the same group. So I'm not surprised, but freedom, growth, and happiness. So growth is one of them. And if I'm living a life congruent with my core values that are important to me because I determine them, I'm generally happy. But if I'm living inconsistent and congruent with what I want, I will always be sort of unhappy because I know that I want to go to X, but I'm really, I know I want to do X, but I'm really doing Y. Mm-hmm. So I think being aware of that for me is, is, a, is a thing that I always need to keep front and center. And the more I can be consistent with the person I want to become, which is kind of like you're always chasing that that shiny thing, but sure. that's where it really happens. That's when I feel very fulfilled. Um, for example, when I remember before I really got involved in this personal development stuff and reading, like I would be very incongruent. I would say something and I would tell people that I want to do something or I would even talk to myself, which is more dangerous. I would say I want to do this, but my actions wouldn't back that up. So now if I'm behaving congruent with my ambitions – even though I might not be at my goals yet, I'm still happy because I know I will get there eventually. And when I get there, the, the, the bar, the, the goal line will keep moving and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw you talking about discipline equals freedom, right? Well, yeah, absolutely does. Yeah, sure. 
And, and there's something weird. There's something I, I, you know, maybe it's the entrepreneur, maybe it's, you know, um, but there's something about the struggle that brings free joy, at least the, what I've seen with many entre entrepreneurs, like trying to like, you played hockey. So let's talk about this, right? You played hockey. You played hockey from when you were, when you were little or like, when did you start playing hockey? Okay. I started when I was like five or six. I took a break for a couple of years, like five or six years. And then I started playing again competitively when I was like 13 or 14 or something like that. Okay. So like, I played from like six to like 10 and then like 14 to like 20 or 19 or something like that. Okay. So that is, that really taught me a lot about business. And I, that's what I was going to say, what did you, what did you learn from that? Because that, that's kind of where I was going. What'd you learn from that? So the, the first lesson I would say is kind of counterintuitive. Um, but I think the listeners will definitely be able to, to, to kind of take, take what they want from it. So I learned that in hockey, even though you're working hard, doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get the results you're after. And I'm not saying that to be discouraging. I'm saying that because you need to work hard and also have the right strategy. So I've learned that massive action with the wrong strategy is a recipe to get frustrated. And I've learned that for, I've read that in books, but I've also learned that. So it really taught me because I worked my butt off, Rob. I was working my butt off doing the wrong things. Or as Jim Rohn would say, I was majoring in minor things. Mm -hmm. and I was creating the illusion in my head that I was working hard, which I was, if you were to look at it on the surface, but I was really not doing things that were going to move the needle. So I was kind of disillusioning. I was like, kind of like misleading myself. And then ultimately I failed at that. And I had to accept that and then take those lessons that I, you know, pulled out of that experience and move on to my next venture. So that was a big lesson I learned. I learned another thing in hockey where, like, for example, I was playing up in Massachusetts back in the day in 14, 15, or 2013, 2014. And I was kind of the outlier. You know, I was the kid from New York who was a little sour. I've always had a little edge to me. I'm very aggressive by nature. I think that's might be where I'm from. I'm a very direct person. And I would never put up with any crap. Like, if someone said something, I would just right back at them. I'd get in like full scruffles at practice and I always had a target on my back. Um, and I learned that at the end of the day, if, 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 if you're trying to make other people happy all day long, you're going to be damn miserable. And I accepted that when I was playing hockey and I started to not give a, you know, what about what other people thought about me. And that really helped me in business because when you're trying to buy and sell investment properties, you're not going to, people are going to get pissed at you. You're going to have lawsuits. You're going to have problems. People are going to talk smack. And if you're not okay with that, you're probably in the wrong business, whether you're in a brokerage business or in the investment business, it's the same deal. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. I, I think of um, Steve Jobs, the commercial of like, here's to the rebel rousers. Oh right? yeah, I love that. <laughs> like you come to mind, you know, that's awesome, right? Because it's, it's true. You have to have, you gotta get, you have to have a little bit of, you have to have this belief in yourself and you have to have this edge in order to say like, I'm just going to go freaking do it. Right. Absolutely. And that's what I've noticed with people that I think people that have played sports at a competitive level have, have learned that along the way. It's this, 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 okay, you're going to get knocked down. You're going to get back up. You're going to figure out what you did wrong. You're going to fix it. And you're just going to kind of keep moving forward. So it's such a great training ground for a business owner and an entrepreneur. I mean, I guess you could get it in other ways, right? You could get it maybe, you know, Ryan Serhant might have got it like being as a, a, a you know, an yeah. actor, right? And, and it's like you go out and you audition and they're like, you're no good, right? Yeah. And yeah. Like, you got to pick yourself back up and you got it. So anybody that puts themselves out there, uh, I think, learns that. But sports comes to mind because that's that was the thing that I I gravi gravitated to. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting how. 
like, I think at the time, like, I remember I was like, this is, I like to talk a lot of stories because I, I remember like learning how to communicate. Like when I communicate through a story, people can relate more than me just saying sure. like their principles. So I remember like when I was playing hockey, I was living with a host family because I was, you know, I was like 19 or 18. I think I was 18 years old. And I remember like my habits and like my disciplines were so poor. Like, and this wasn't even that long ago. I was not conscious of my choices and, and I was not aware of what I was doing. And I remember I'd get up at like nine in the morning and I would, you know, watch hockey on TV for two hours and make pancakes and sit around and do nothing. And I just was so okay with that because that's where I was at in my life at the time. But looking back, just even being able to pull the lessons out of the ultimate failure that that was hockey, it allows me to make better decisions today as a, as a, as a man and as a business owner, as a young business owner, because I think there's a lot of, um, especially in our industry, in the real estate industry, there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of chest pounding and there's a lot of, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, you know, metaphorically. And, uh, I just try my best to, to not let that impact me. I'm, I can't say that I'm perfect because it certainly does sometimes, mm -hmm. but I really try my best to like take everything with a grain of salt and, and just make sure I'm, I'm putting one foot in front of another every day so I can ultimately get to that next level. So, so let's talk a little bit about your habits. What is, what is your, what does your schedule look like now, right? Have people kind of understand what your day looks like today. Yeah. Great question. So Really, I get up because I live on the West Coast. It's very, if you're not getting up at like five or six o'clock and you're doing business on the East Coast, you're just you're at a big disadvantage because it's three hours behind. So I get up in between five and six o'clock every day, depending on what I have going on. And the biggest thing I would say that I do, I don't have a crazy, insane routine, but what I always do for the most part is I don't look at my text messages or emails the first hour and a half of my day. Mm -hmm. So I generally I'll read for a half hour. I'll make myself a cup of coffee. And then I'll work on a project after that that doesn't involve me communicating with somebody, like me responding to an email or responding to a text. Like I'll, I'll work on some marketing or I'll work on my vision or I'll work on systems for my team. Um, but I do something that is more of a creative, um, you know, offensive type of uh, activity. Mm -hmm. And then after an hour and a half, because that puts me in a good mindset, it gives me, mm -hmm. gets me very empowered. Mm -hmm. And then it allows me to get into the proper state. And this is like some Tony Robbins stuff to where like, if I have a crappy email come through, if I have a crappy text come through, I'm in the right mindset to handle that. Because I used to get up in the morning and I would look at my emails, look at my phones, and it'd be just, it'd be like a Broadway show with all this drama. <laughs> and I would be like, pissed off. You know, I would anchor my day like crap. And then I'd yeah. be like, felt like I'm running uphill all day. So I remember listening to an Ed Milet podcast and he was like, you got to like not do that. You got to not look at your phone. And Dean Graziosi was talking about that. And I said, that's a good idea. I'm gonna try it out. Mm -hmm. um, another thing I do in the morning, more of a health thing. I drink a liter. I drink at least a liter of water right when I wake up. And what wow. that does, it hydrates the hell out of me all day. It sets the tone for me physically to where I have a lot of energy. I think generally I'm an energetic person, but if I'm not hydrated and I'm not feeling good, that's my new governor. You know what I mean? That's my new governor. So if I can put some green juice in my body and have a liter of water and have some black coffee, it gives me the fuel I need to, to, to propel and, and get that momentum for the day. That's awesome. I love it. It's so important. Yeah. I'm right here with you. Same thing. It's like, yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't want to look at anything for the first no, time. No, I, I like, sometimes if I have to go in my email just to like pull a file out, I literally will have my hand up on the <laughs> And I'm like, no, no, no lawyer emails, you know? And then I'm just like, you know, I'll, I'll take the file and I'll like click out and make sure like it's all. Yeah, because you, yeah, you want to you want to keep yourself in the right state, in a creative state. Yes. Right? Not yes. in a not a in a I, I've got to work on problem state, right? Yes. So yes. that's that's such powerful, powerful advice. That's awesome. Thank you. It's it, it's very it's very um, it works right away. Like it's something that you do it on day one and you're like, man, I don't think I could ever go back to, to not 
doing this because it makes you feel so good and it makes you feel very accomplished for the day. And then if you have the inevitable email that pisses you off, at least you got your most important work done and you know that that might be the case and you can prepare for it. Well, what I love, you said, I forget the exact words. You said you 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 actually prepare something that that or build something that helps you propel the business forward. Uh, yes. It's, it's taking action on things that are going to help propel the business forward. So it doesn't derail the most important piece. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of it is working on the vision and working on systems for my, my team, you know, because as I start to grow the team out, I got to make sure my systems are solid. So I like that stuff, but that stuff is, is like, and Stephen Covey would say it's, it's, it's important, but it's not urgent. An email is urgent, right? But working on your vision is probably the most important thing you can do, yeah. but it's not urgent. You know, it's not like it needs to be due tomorrow. It's kind of up to you to get it done. So I love working on that stuff first thing in the morning, man. It's like my ver- it's like my version of meditating. I'm not a big meditator, but like doing that is my version of meditating and being present. Yeah. And you're probably listening to things and putting good things in your body and you're framing, right? And you're 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 uh uh what do I call it always you know, I'm always just trying to anchor my day in a positive way, right? Yeah. And so so what if tell me a little bit about how you now let's talk business, right? Um yeah. Your model is direct mail, PPC, you know, t- tell me a little bit about that. Like how, wh- how many leads to an appointment, to a conversation, to an appointment? I don't know if you've kind of drilled into those numbers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Happy for that. But okay. my best channel by far is direct mail. I do a lot of also internet uh, search engine optimization stuff and, and okay. some targeted cold calling, but to give you the skinny on direct mail in my area, Costs me three thousand dollars to buy a house. Uh, if I'm going direct to seller, that's mm-hmm. without a referral. That's that. Just three three thousand dollars of ad spend on average gets us a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, that averages out to about forty two leads to get a, con- a closed deal. So this is a metric that is very important. There's leads per contract and there's leads per revenue. Like I care about leads per closed revenue or mm-hmm. equity. Depending on what I'm doing mm-hmm. with that property. So forty two leads will make the company money or build equity. So that's a number that I watch like a hawk. And generally, $3,000 of ad spend will get us those leads that are quality leads that allow us to do our business consistently. Um, on the cold call side, you know, which is another thing that I'm pretty familiar with, but not the way a lot of people are doing it. I do a lot of targeted cold calling, which is changing by the day because there's more and more um, more and more people are starting to do that. So it's becoming more of a red ocean. Mm-hmm. But on that, I'll tell you what, Rob, this is this sounds too good to be true, but back in 2018, I was every six targeted cold call leads, we were making like 30 grand and it was insane. The six, it was, it was a blue ocean. No one, there was no list stacker. There was no, no one was really cold calling. Everyone was mailing. Um, and that yeah, obviously, so were, yeah. So you were list stacking, right? Is that what you were oh, doing? Yeah. yeah. Before okay. list stackers were even out there. So there was no list stackers. I was using this program called AccuZip, which is a postal mm-hmm. cleansing software. And I was taking all my lists and I was sticking it through AccuZip and then all these vacant houses were spitting out. No one was doing this. It was I was a pioneer. And I was getting deals where, I'm not kidding, we were making like $30,000, $40,000 wholesale fees and doing this virtually uh, to the tune of three to four times a month. And I, I, I didn't know what was going on because it, it, it seemed so easy. I was like, there's there's something up. This is Someone's going to catch on to this. And now it's changed and you have to do a lot more marketing. But direct mail has always been my favorite channel because it, it allows you to have predictable revenue, assuming that you have a decent sales process. Mm-hmm. And I have pretty good faith now where when I'm going to send a campaign out, I know the numbers well enough to where I can pretty much predict what should come in. Mm-hmm. And I have my numbers to where if something doesn't work out the way that it should work out, I can really look at some key metrics and figure out what that root problem might be. And then the next time I do a campaign or the next time I do a drop, I can kind of solve for that problem that I'm trying to solve for. So it could mean that 
maybe the postcard didn't really catch people's eyeballs and the response rate was low, or maybe the lead quality was bad and we were going too broad with our lists. Uh, heck, maybe we didn't spend enough money on the campaign, which is usually the root cause. I see a lot of new people. I got two leads. Yeah, you know, I'm like, oh, you got two leads. Well, you need 45 to probably get a deal in direct mail. So go get 43 more leads and then tell me what you got. And that's, you know, a lot of times the issue. Um, so that's like a big marketing hub for us. And then let me, let me ask you a question. You, you, what's your cost per postcard? I mean, how many are you sending out on one drop? Yeah, so I spent anywhere from fifteen to eighteen thousand dollars, uh, so fifteen to eighteen thousand postcards per cycle. So the way I do mailings is I have campaigns, and each in each campaign there's a cycle. So generally, like each campaign will have five cycles, which is five different touches that the prospects will get in our mailing. And then the way that I try to make direct mail, the way that direct mail is really profitable for me is because I'm in the thing for five cycles. So even if cycle one tanks two and three, we're probably going to make our money back. And once we make our money back, it's almost like gambling. It's all house money at that point. Mm-hmm. And we can really accelerate our campaigns and generally get like a six to eight, six, anywhere from six to eight to one return on our ad spend if we're optimized fully. Dude, which that's is solid. That yeah. is super solid. That's super solid. solid. Yeah. So that's to a targeted list. Targeted lists are always going to be the best for us, like our tax defaults in my market. But those lists are, are small, so you can really hit them. You, there's only so many people on that list in my county, right. really. So, like, yeah, I have to go kind of do it over and over. Yeah. Yeah. A, a list that I've really liked too is, um, and this anyone can get this list. It's basically just people who've owned a property for over 20 years. You know what I mean? Like, people, like, think about it. If someone's owned a property for deep equity, yeah. Yeah. Tons of equity. Their basis is probably pretty low. So, even if they sell at a discount, they're probably not going to take a loss on the house. Um, you know, deferred maintenance, uh, a lot of it is timing. It's just, it's a little luck. It's a little timing. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, you could, me and a competitor could mail the same freaking list and one seller could call me and then they can not call him and I can get a hundred thousand dollar deal. And that, that's just the way it is, you know, and it could be the opposite way too. So I've learned to accept that over the years. And as, as I've really looked at the numbers and refined the data, I've been able to really get more comfortable increasing my, my, uh, my direct mail, uh, budget spent and all that stuff. Well, uh, I'll ask you one final question on that. What are some maybe two or three things with the marketing piece that you send out that you feel sure. like absolute must for some sure. I think the marketing piece, and that's a great question because that's a whole like, you know, people, oh, what should I send? Oh, it's like, you know what? I've noticed I've like wrote Dan Kennedy sales letters on these postcards and I've lost a fortune. Mm-hmm. And I've also had the ugly postcard that literally says, hey, my name is Greg. I want to buy your house. If you're even interested in an offer, call me. That always wins. So I've noticed the simpler, the better. It's about timing. It's about being very clear what you do, how you do it, um, and not over communicating in a postcard. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, it, it's it's a very a postcard is a very like they're going to see it for about a second, and then they're either they're going to decide they're either going to throw it out or they're going to call you, and you want to make sure that they're doing the latter there. So if you can be very simple and direct and make it easy to understand what you're doing. And I learned this from Brian Tracy, like you want to communicate so simple that a five-year-old can understand what you're saying and then repeat that same thing to another five-year-old. So my postcards are very simple. It's like, I want to buy your house. I'll make you a fair offer. If you're even remotely interested in calling, just give me a reach, uh, give me a ring and, and, you know, we'll talk to you and see if we're even a fit. And yeah. that really brings in a pretty good response. You know, what's interesting about that is that, um, that's so it's so true, right? There's all these studies done when you when you make it too complicated, you make the yeah. brain have to think and it doesn't want to think, right? Like we're yeah. trained to try not to think to save calories during the day. Yeah. And so yeah. you just gotta dumb it down and be like, you wanna sell your house? Like I remember when I first started out, simple for me. If you're thinking about selling, I'm interested in buying, right? Yeah. Like right. Call, I mean, literally that was it. If you're thinking yeah. about selling, I'm interested in buying, call me here. And that, that literally is like, 
that was it. P.S. I'll buy it. And as is condition. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And I, I like how you said that because I've noticed too, as the market has changed and there's more people getting involved in this business, um, you know, there's more people doing this. So you got to make sure you stand out. And a way that I've been able to do that in conjunction with the marketing, and I learned this from Frank Kern, who's really an internet marketer, but a lot of his stuff I take and just apply it in my, you know, direct to consumer business, brick and mortar business. Uh, and what I do and I train my people is I'm like, listen, at the end of the day, goodwill is the most important thing with these sellers because they're already skeptical calling in. They already kind of think it's a scam and you got to begin um, the conversation that's already going on in their mind. So uh, the way that I train my people is I'm like, listen, you know, whether you buy the house or not, you're there to solve their problem and be helpful. So we enter our conversations with sellers saying, hey, listen, you know, I'd be happy to look into your house. I just want to let you know, even if I don't buy your house, I promise I'm going to be helpful and you'll get some value out of this conversation. And that you're kind of future pacing them to want to commit to having that conversation because they know at the end of the conversation, it's going to be helpful no matter what. And I see a lot of investors, they like act like freaking analysts at a bank or something. And they're like, just like such wieners on the phone. Dude, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm smiling because uh, when I, w I would always handle like a ton of short sale leads back in the day. Oh, right? Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so I would always start off by saying, listen, at a minimum, if I'm not the person that can help you, I'll, I'll certainly point you in the right direction. Yes. Right? So just, let's, just, let's just let's just talk. You tell me what the situation is and, you know, and I'll tell you whether or not I, I can help. I'll, you know, I'll hope you go somewhere else. And exactly. literally it like takes all the pressure off of yeah. and they'll tell you everything at that point everything dude because it's all about just having that conversation and being cool with them and like i've had sellers leave me reviews on google where they're like hey i spoke with i spoke with greg and he was super nice and he didn't buy my house but he was super honest and upfront with me and i really appreciate him doing that so if you're considering selling you should definitely give him a call because he's a nice guy and that is better than oh greg helped me out so much he bought my house and i was desperate and you know <laughs> No kidding, you know, but the other, I want the other reviews because I want the skeptical yeah. people to see that and then just give us a call and see if we're fit. You know, Dude, I, I love how you said, it. I know I've, I've heard it before, but you have to, and you have to have the conversation they're already having in their mind. Yes. Boom. That Boom. is so powerful, right? Yeah, it's yeah. true, man. It's so very true. powerful. So I think that's Robert Cullier, I think, uh, the marketer. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Well, what, what advice would you give somebody that, uh, is looking to to start on this journey right to start sure. off being you know the the taking this real estate entrepreneur's journey what advice would you give somebody great question so i would say if i had to sum it all up i would say from my experience so far which is is not that much you know it's only five years um but it's it's really you got to understand what you're getting into and and you got to commit to it in the beginning because if you don't do that it's so damn hard you're just going to tap out when it gets hard and that yeah. that sounds cliche but it's so true because i think people look they get into this business and they think that it's easier for the other guy but the other guy has the same problems that you have he's just solved them better than you so if you can understand that that's going to be the case with you as well, and you can commit in advance that you're going to just make it happen no matter what, even though it's going to be hard as balls, then you're, you're, you'll be successful eventually because it just comes down to numbers and at-bats and making offers and negotiating. And the more you sharpen your skills, the more you'll expedite that. But if you can commit in advance that over time this will work, and this is a long-term business, it's not a freaking get rich overnight on Amazon crap. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? like it's a real business and you got to treat it like that. And you got to like kind of, once you make the decision, you want to be a real estate entrepreneur, you want to follow a couple people, not like 10 people and laser focus, like put the blinders on, you know what I mean? And like, I, because of that, like, I'm not really on Facebook, really like 
searching. I have like a newsfeed blocker on my computer and like I'll respond to messages once in a while. But I try to have my blinders on to where I'm so focused on the objectives and the goals. I don't I try not to let other things distract me as much as they used to. So that that would really be my best advice for someone looking to get in this business. Burn the boats. Burn right? the burn the boats. Yeah. Burn the burn. boats. Exactly. Did it take you did I hear you say it took you nine months before you did your first deal? It took me nine months and that wasn't even a wholesale deal. That was me getting a referral check for bird dog and property. So I worked for free for like nine months and then I made a thousand bucks. And I, the, th- the funny thing is I earned that money and it, I didn't have to like, you know, I wasn't like an accountant or something. I wasn't like on a salary. So I made a thousand bucks essentially for going to a house, taking pictures. And it happened to be in the same town that where I'm from. So I linked like a thousand dollars with like, like not really a lot of effort and money. And I was obviously wrong. I still worked my butt off, but the, my association with money kind of forever changed because I, I was getting paid to provide value versus getting paid to like be somewhere, you know, at some time. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think so many people think it's going to happen month one or month two or month yeah. three. or month, I'm like every big investor I've ever talked to or whether they run a brokerage or an agent, it, it took them six, seven, eight, nine months oh. to, to just – to do, I mean, if you landed a deal month one or month two, you were lucky, right? It was just yeah. like the numbers, like you you hit, you know, you hit double zero, like right yeah, off the bat. Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's not, I think it's bad. Something like I'm kind of happy that didn't happen because let's say I go out as a 20 year old punk and land a $50,000 wholesale deal month one. I'm jaded. I'm not, I didn't become the person that I need to become to, to be able to handle that money. And I probably would have bought a Rolex and been stupid, honestly. And I'm just being real because like, I think, you know, there, I always see this in books I read and stuff I listen to. It's like the person who inherits money, and I'm not saying this is a true principle, but like if you don't work for your money and you don't like earn it and you just kind of get it to you, you don't appreciate it and you don't like, sometimes you're not the best steward of capital, but when you have to kind of go and grow into that income, I think it's like, it makes you appreciate it more and it makes you a better steward of capital just in general. Yeah, man, it goes back to that whole, how we started the conversation about, you know, fulfillment comes from the struggle yes fulfillment comes from the struggle and you know if it was easy it'd be like it it'd be a little it could it could seem a little empty right yeah 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 somehow somehow like you climbing the mountain and being like dude that was friggin' hard and i'm damn proud i climbed this friggin' mountain you know and um there's there's something there you know it's just innate in us Right. It's magical. Yeah. It's like a weird thing. It's hard to even describe, but like, yeah, it's like, if you, if it's not hard, then you don't appreciate it. But if it is hard, it feels so much more fulfilled when you get it done. Like I remember, I guess to end with a story, um, like I remember I did my first like real big deal where I made like six figures on it. And I was Mm -hmm. a couple years ago and remember like, it seemed really easy. And I'm like, man, this is super easy. And then all of a sudden I got flagged by the building department, had to fly back to New York for a month to deal with this whole construction project. And it was hard as hell, but when I got that freaking wire, man, it, it just <laughs> bothered me. You know, I'm like, there's no way it's this easy. You know, it was like a lay down seller, and I was like, this. I'm like, when when am I gonna get kicked in the teeth here? You know, <laughs> every, every now and then, well, every now and then, you get something like that, and it yeah. makes up for all the ones that you spent hours and hours and hours oh, before for a small yeah, little payday or no payday, right? So it, yeah. it all the the cosmos balances it all out. Yeah, bro. You got to be in it for the long game, man. You got to be in it for the long game. And, and just, you know, I see a lot of people too, like they, 
you know, I've, I heard like there's a saying in Texas, big hat, and no cattle. A lot of people yeah. like to like, you know, fake it till like they fake with something that they're not. And just, I think if some advice for your listeners, like if you just behave congruently and be cool and be genuine, help people and be a good person, have integrity. I mean, that goes, that's more important than making money because the money will follow that. But it's people who I see cut corners and do shady stuff. It's just like, I don't understand it. I try not to associate with people like that. I'm sure obviously you're the same and no one in our mastermind well, would do that. You know, what's, you know, what's interesting is, um, I, I think, I mean, it, it happens at all levels. Every generation has that, right? But there's definitely the younger generation, your generation, millennial generation. Yeah. Like you guys are bombarded online so, so with with all these messages of comparison. Yeah, which, man. You know, that's a whole nother topic of people can go down the rabbit hole of depression and all the rest because you know everybody's like trying to live their greatest life yeah. online it's all bullshit, you know it's all bs dude that's a rented freaking car man you know like yeah and it's just anything it on the internet like you got to take with a grain of salt like someone says i did 300 deals last year like what if you made a thousand bucks on every deal like you, you know like cool like you know what I mean? it's just like whatever it's all relative it's all um, relative yeah, yeah for sure man well, cool. Well, how does how does somebody find you? I, I, you, you do your you you have your own podcast as well. So I'd love to get you on, by the way, so we can we can work on that after we we record sure this. Thing, I love to on Pave the way podcast. Pave the way uh, podcast. If you search that on like iTunes or, or Spotify or Stitcher, it'll come up. And then uh, the best way to get in touch with me, besides that, would be to follow me on Instagram. My social media. I, I kind of go in and out of that a little bit, but. Uh, Grego G R E G O underscore thirty seven. I put out content generally every day and promote our shows and try to put out helpful stuff whenever I have a couple minutes. So uh, that's the best way to get in touch with me for sure. Cool. Was thirty seven like your hockey number or something? That was. You're like the thirty. And I'm like, man, that's the because it's kind of a weird number. It's like a goalie's number, even though I wasn't a goalie. And they're like thirty seven. Like what? I don't know anything about hockey, so I just figured the thirty seven yeah. hockey means something. You're it's not like when I gold, so yeah, it's like when I negotiate, I'll pay you thirty-seven thousand dollars. That sounds better than forty, you know. That's right, thirty-seven. <laughs> or you always end it like I'll pay you one hundred and fifty, you know, one hundred and fifty, well, one hundred fifty thousand thirty-seven bucks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, how'd you come up with that number? It's like I didn't never split the difference. I'm just a wizard, you know. <laughs> Great book, by the way. Love that book. Great book. Yeah, right. Great. Any other any other good book recommendations? Do you have like oh, a top? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So never split the difference. If you're going to get into any sort of communication, uh, that's probably the best book out there. Uh, there's another great book I love called, uh, it's from Jim Rohn. It's called The Art of Exceptional Living. I think it's only on Audible, but it's a really old tape and it's really, really impactful. Dude, it's awesome. awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lead the Field by Earl Nightingale. That's another one that is mm -hmm. like a hundred years old, but I it's almost like fine wine. The, the older it is, the more true it is because there's no, mm -hmm. no this crap. So those three books, I think if you just read those, and there's a guy that I, I actually had on my show last yesterday. He's got a nine-figure net worth, and he did a keynote talk, and he's like, go get the art of exception. And one of his messages was, go get the art of exceptional living and listen to it 50 times. I think I'm on like 20 or 25 right now. So just like taking these books and reading them and listening to them over and over again and rinsing and repeating, will just they'll start to become part of your psychology, and then you'll be able to make better decisions and think better. Jim Rohn is the legend, man. The GOAT. The best. He's the best. He's the best. <laughs> Nothing like him, man. Greg, man, I appreciate you spending time. It's awesome to have you on here. Uh, I've, I've learned so much about your story, and uh, and thanks so much. I, I know our, our grid listeners are going to be super appreciative of this. And, um, 
you know, if what was it again? If you want to look him up, it's Greg O-37. Greg O-37. Greg O underscore 37. They'll find me right on Instagram. Awesome, brother. You take care. Thanks. Later. Be good.